Uh, have you ever had a job or were doing a project that in the moment it wasn't that glorious? Right, my wife and I, we bought a house about a year and a half ago. Uh, and, and my wife is the type of person that likes to look into houses, that not with people in them, right? All right? But she likes to look in empty houses just to kind of see what it's like. All right? and, and this house, it was across from our neighbors, and she did that. She looked inside, and she's like, this is the house about two years before we bought it, right? All right? And so finally, when it came on the market, she's like, yes, let's do it. And we did it, and it was a great house except for all the problems. All right, so... This house had sat empty literally for at least two years because she looked in it two years before, uh, and they didn't have all the water out of the pipes. And so when winter came, those pipes froze and busted, and so we had to clean up some of that. Uh, the ceiling uh, under on the first floor where the pipes had busted and, and damaged, we had to replace all of that. We had carpet, we had paint, we had all kinds of things. And for about a month or two months, uh, me and a couple of guys, we were there almost every night of the week. And we would get done and look at our progress for the day, and we would think to ourselves, man, we have a long ways to go here. And that's kind of one of those moments where you, it's not a glorious thing, but once you get done and you're able to step back at the finished product, you can be like, oh, yeah, that was great. Now, my wife, she every once in a while would come into the house as we are working, and she's like, well, this still needs to be done, and this still needs to be done, and this still needs to be done. She was very good at that. And so eventually she just realized, I cannot come into this house until it's done. All right, And, and that's just kind of who she is. Uh, I remember one night uh, getting a phone call late because she had come in and uh, was starting to tape off some things to paint. Uh, we had just put in a hot water heater, but we had missed one little part. And when we turned it on, it was fine. But later on, it just started shooting a stream of water. And so she was downstairs. She was uh, on the first level, and there's hot water heaters on the second, and she just sees water dripping. And so I get this phone call, you got to come here now. All right, and so I came as quickly as possible. I told her to turn it off, but, but that was the type of things that would happen, right? And sometimes when you get done and you're in the middle of something and you're still working really hard at it, it can be discouraging looking at the lack of progress. All right, it can be discouraging to see, man, I have a long ways to go. Have you ever been there? So what we find in the book of Haggai is this. The Israelites uh, in Haggai chapter 1, they were challenged by Haggai and the Lord to go and to build the temple. And then when we get to this second chapter of Haggai and we see that they are extremely discouraged. And, and so we want to ask this question, what's what do we do in those moments when we feel discouraged? When we're doing things for the Lord and yet it just does not seem to be clicking. So that's what we want to look at today. We're going to be in Haggai chapter 2. Uh, we invite you to open up your Bibles there. Uh, if you need to figure out where Haggai is, feel free to look in the table of contents because it's not really one of those books we often look at. So feel free to look there. It's about the third book to the end of the Old Testament. And uh, we're going to read just uh, the first three verses kind of to tell us where we're at uh, in history. And this is what it says. In the se second year of King Darius, on the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. He said, speak to Zerubbabel, uh, declares the Lord, or, wow, speak to Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, to Joshua, the high priest, and to the remnants of the people, and ask them these questions, two 
uh, of you is left who saw the house in its former glory. How does it look now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? All right, so Haggai does something great for us, okay? He tells us where we're at in history. Not everyone uh, in the Bible gives us dates. Uh, in fact, very few do, but this tells us a lot of things that we have to understand, okay? First off, in Haggai chapter 1, uh, we read that Haggai comes to the people on the first day of the sixth month of the second year of King Darius, all right? Now we are on the 21st day of the seventh month, so it's been about two months from the first time Haggai spoke until now. All right, and in that two-month period, the Israelites have probably gone together and they've started to work on the temple. But it's hard work. I mean, the Babylonians, when they came in and destroyed the temple, they had done a pretty good job of pretty much destroying everything, and they just kind of left rubble where it was. All right, and so there's probably a lot of things that they had to do. Now, the Israelites, when they first came back about 10 years before Haggai, they had started some of the work. They had laid down some cornerstones, and we'll talk about that here in a second. All right, but they had, they had done some of it, but they hadn't done a lot. And so they probably still had a lot of stones that they had to decide, can we use this, yes or no? If no, we need to move it. And they didn't have machinery to move it, so they're moving it themselves, right? And so that's hard, slow labor. On top of that, it's probably been somewhere around 10 years since somebody's been up there to look at uh, the temple grounds. Now, how many of you have ever seen a house that has not mowed its yard for 10 years? All right. <laughs> a few of us, right? All right? It's not pretty, is it? All right, now, the temple probably had pavement stones, but it's one of those things where after 10 years of non be not being used, they probably had weeds growing out of everywhere, and they didn't have Roundup, all right? So they couldn't just spray stuff to kill it, all right? They had to weed it all by hand. How fun is that? Not fun at all. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's not fun. It's not something that, that I would enjoy, all right? But they're probably having to do that. They're probably having to clear things out, and so there's a lot of things. And on top of that, they are working in the fields to make sure that they have food to live off of, and so when they're not there, they're at the temple. And so it would have been very frustrating to have to do all this. Now, something that we have to understand that we miss because we're not Jewish is this. The seventh month for the Jews was a very busy month. See, the, the Jews weren't allowed to work on holidays, right? So they weren't allowed to work on Sabbath days either. And so if we're 21 days into the month. There's probably been at least three Sabbath days. On top of that, the first day of the seventh month is the Feast of Trumpets. So no work on that day. It's a holiday. On the 10th uh, day of the month is the uh, Day of Atonement, so no work on that day. On the 15th day of the month begins a seven-day seven period, a one-week period of fest, uh, the Feast of Booths. All right? And this is where they go out and they uh, build these booths, they call them booths, but they're like leafy shelters that they live in for a week, and they do this to commemorate their wilderness wanderings. And so for probably 12 of the 21 days of the seventh month so far, they've not been able to work. Now, I don't know about you, but there's every once in a while, uh, I have a task that I really have to be focused on. 
And so when I'm really focused on that task, I usually shut my office doors, not really wanting people to interrupt. And sometimes Jacob doesn't get the hint, right? And he just comes in. All right, no, just kidding. I can pick on him because he's not, he's in the back right now. So, all right. And, and, and it's one of those things that, that when that happens, I have to focus and listen and talk and interact. And then I have to come back and, and I've lost where I'm at. And I have to rethink to myself, okay, where am I at? What did I mean by this sentence? What was I trying to say? And it takes a while to get back into the act. And I feel like rebuilding the temple is going to be one of those areas, right? If you're doing it every day, you're good. But if you have to wait a couple of days, you have to get back there like, okay, where were we at? What were we supposed to be doing? What was my job? What was, did I get finished? You know, and so this would have been difficult, I think. It would have been frustrating, and we see from Haggai's message in the rest of this, he's encouraging them probably because they're discouraged. Now they are looking, and not much has changed in a month's period. I mean, the, what was at the beginning of the seventh month to the 21st day of the month, it looks the same. And when you're trying to do something, when you're trying to accomplish a big task like rebuilding the temple, you probably want to see progress. And so Haggai comes to them and he wants to encourage them, but he begins by asking three questions. The first question that he asks is this, who among you remember the old temple? Now that was about 50 or 70 years ago, and, or 60 to 70 years ago, and so there's probably a few all right, not many, but a few that remember Solomon's temple. And Solomon, he was the king of Israel that had all the money. He had so much money that he could throw a bunch of it at the temple's building. And he did. If you ever get a chance, you should read 1 Kings 5 through 7. All right, those three chapters talk about what Solomon did and what he spent money on and how much he just poured into building the temple. It was extravagant. It was beautiful. A couple hundred years after Solomon, you have a guy by the name of Josiah who also remodels the temple and makes it back to its former glory. And so these guys, they are looking at the old temple and they remember it. And Haggai has two more questions for them. How does this one compare? Well, luckily, we, we know the answer to this. Haggai doesn't tell us, but we know the answer. Right, we know it from a book called Ezra. In Ezra chapter 3, uh, we, we read a, a very simple story. All right, Ezra is written about the same time as Haggai. In fact, Ezra mentions Haggai in his book. All right, and and Ezra is all about the Israelites coming back and rebuilding the temple. And in chapter 3, we get this story about them laying the foundation stones. All right, it says this, When the builders laid the foundations of the temple of the Lord, the priests uh, in their vestments and with trumpets and the Levites with cymbals took places to praise the Lord as prescribed by David, king of Israel. And with praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, he is good. His love towards Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But we have this happening too. The older priests and the Levites and the heads of houses who had seen the former temple, Solomon's temple, they didn't sing praises, they wept. They wept aloud because they saw the foundation of the temple being laid, and while many others shouted for joy, 
No one could distinguish the sound of shouts of joy from the shouts of weeping because the people made such a great noise and it was heard from a distance. So what we have here happening is you have a group of Israelites watching the foundation being laid. Some are joyful and some are crying. Why? Well, we're not told right here, but we're told later as they measure out the temple that is built that it is nothing compared to the size of Solomon's. And as the older generation sits there and looks as the temple is being laid, they're thinking to themselves, this isn't as big. And for them, they equated, if it's bigger, it is better. And they saw that it wasn't going to be nearly the size, and they remember what they had before, and they weep. And so Haggai's questions, does it look as good? No, it does not. Does it look as grand? No, it does not. Now at the same time, you have the next generation of Israelites who never saw the temple, and throughout their entire lives, they never had a place to truly worship God. God prescribed the Israelites to worship at the temple, at the tabernacle, whichever it was. And the Israelites, for all of their lives, they didn't have that. And so as the foundations are being laid, they're not thinking about Solomon. They're thinking about themselves, and they're thinking about, yes, we finally get a chance to worship God. And they are joyful. Now, here's something I think we can learn from Ezra 3. It's not necessarily the point of Haggai, but I think we can learn this. While some of us can be saddened by the things that we've lost in the past within the church, We also have people that have never experienced that and yet are coming closer to God by the things that we're doing now. And while some people are saddened by what we've lost, there is joy in recognizing people are coming to God. And so here's what we have to come, what we have to understand, is that we shouldn't necessarily look to the past and say, that was better, that was bigger, and, and forget about the people that are coming to, to Christ because of what we're doing now. There should be joy in that. And the fact that people are, are knowing who Jesus is and that he's changing their lives no matter what we're doing that's different. And I think that's something that we can see in Ezra 3. Now, back to Haggai for just a moment. He, he's asking those questions, what does it look like? And they're saying it's not not good, Haggai. And so on top of the frustrations that I think are there because there's a lack of progress, I think there's also frustration because the older generation of Israelites, they are probably discouraged. This isn't going to be as big. And they're probably letting Zerubbabel know, and they're probably letting Joshua know, like, guys, we got to do something. This is not the right size. It needs to be this big. And they're very discouraged at the lack of size. And so Haggai, he has some things for them. He has some words. And and these are the words that he has uh, to them, starting in verse 4. He says, But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. And work, for I am with you declares the Lord Almighty, this is what I coveted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. 
the words that, is, that he has for them is very simple. Here they are feeling discouraged about what they're doing and the lack of progress. And, jo- and Haggai just simply says, be strong. God is with you. Get to work. Very simple message, right? I think God understands what we often do when we're discouraged, right? When we're discouraged, uh, we, we have a big task ahead of us and we're not getting anywhere with it. Where do we want to spend our day? In bed. I, at least for me, I don't know about you, but when I'm discouraged and I don't even want to get up in the morning, and I know that, that this is probably what they're feeling like, man, we just need to give up on this and focus on other things. And Haggai says, no, I know that you're discouraged, but be strong. Now, you may have heard this message before. Uh, Joshua, uh, son of Nun, way back, not the same Joshua here, but way back in the book of Joshua, he's given the same message. At the end of the wandering period, all right, he, Moses, who had led the Israelites throughout the wilderness, is now dead. And there's a new leader, and his name is Joshua, and he is tasked with bringing the people into Canaan where they have cities, where they have large armies. And it would have been very discouraging to think about what you have to do. And so God comes to Joshua and he says, be strong. And he says, I am with you, just as I was with Moses. Now, if we stop for a moment and and recognize where we're at in history, it's the 21st day of the seventh month. The 15th day began a week-long process. And so after... Seven days after 15 is 21, if you count the 15 as one. So we're at the end of the Feast of Booths. The Feast of Booths commemorates the wilderness period. And if we remember that the wilderness period ends with Joshua leading the Israelites into Canaan, then this makes so much more powerful sense. The message that they're probably reading about on that day is the message that God has for them now. Be strong. Be strong. Don't give up. Keep going. Now, here's where I think we can, we can really learn from this, okay? It is hard sometimes to do the work that God has set before us. Sometimes, sometimes it's very discouraging, and I know this a lot from my own life, and it's something that, that, that I struggle with, all right? It's something that I still have to deal with on a regular basis. It's hard to do ministry. I, I feel that God has called me to be in this position, and when I talk to other ministers and, and see how God is just blessing their ministries, and I look around, I'm like, man, I, I'm not catching up to you guys. It can be discouraging. I uh, remember a couple years ago, we were putting on a a parents class, and it was going to take place during Awana because we had a lot of kids in Awana, a lot of parents that bring kids to Awana, and it's a great idea. Come to Awana night, we'll do our parents class. I remember uh, studying and having what I was going to talk about, uh, and I remember asking my wife to make some cookies. I had drinks. I was, had everything looking nice in the room we were going to use, and when it came time for the parents to come, I sat there alone. I had lots of cookies, but I was all by myself, and that's discouraging. 
I was a youth minister before I took on preaching, as many of you remember, and, and, and I remember building up the youth group with my wife and the people that we had helping us, and we were up to like 15 to 20 high schoolers, uh, not including the junior hires. And I remember having stuff on Sunday nights, and I remember expecting all 30 of our junior hires and high schoolers to come, and we ha- would have two. That's discouraging. And for a long time, I placed my value on those numbers, right? If I had more, then I was doing what I was supposed to do. If I had less, then I was doing something wrong. And I think that is the wrong way to look at it. See, I I think that by ignoring, by, by focusing on who wasn't there, I was forgetting about the people that were there. And a lot of times that's what we do is we get so focused on who's not there that we forget that there's people that have come to be invested in. And it's taken me a long, and it's something that I still struggle with. It's taken me a long time to recognize that. All right, and so, so here's what I think that, that Haggai is trying to say. It's something that Jesus says in Luke 16.10. In Luke 16.10, Jesus says these words that are going to be on the screen. He says, if you are faithful and very little, then you will be faithful also in much. But if you're dishonest and very little, you'll be dishonest in much. And that's something that, that I've struggled with. When, when I had those two kids in youth group, I had to realize, you know what? I'm glad that those two are here. And I had to pour into them because that's why they were there. That's what I'd really been called to do. And so I had to learn to be faithful with the little that I had. And I think that oftentimes the reason why we don't necessarily see God bless us or God bless our ministries that we're a part of is because we're not able to handle it. I think that we need to learn to be faithful with what we have first. And I think if we're faithful with what we have first, then we will see growth. So let me, let me give you some examples here. And we could talk about any ministry, but I asked Matt, and he said I could do this. So uh, Fishes and Loaves is a new ministry here. And, it, and originally, the, the idea was we were going to feed homeless people. And so if, if we were to judge Fishes and Loaves by the amount of homeless people that have walked through our doors, we'd probably be failing. Wouldn't you say so, Matt? I mean, how many we've had, Matt? Zero. And so we could judge Fishes and Loaves on that, but I don't. I don't think that's the way we should do it. Because I think God has called us to feed hungry. And Mexico has a, some homeless, but it has a lot more hungry people that are living at places. And I wonder if the reason why we aren't necessarily seeing uh, bursting from the scenes numbers uh, is because we're not being faithful. And I'm not talking about Matt. I'm not talking about those that come and help every single week at it. I'm talking about us as a church body. We feel led to do this. And I, want, and, and I don't know the answer. I'm not saying we're not being faithful. I'm just asking that question. Maybe there's something more to it. And I think we could ask that of any ministry we do. Are we being faithful? And the answer may be yes. 
Like, like, don't hear me say that I think we're being a terrible church and that we are not being faithful with God, what God has called us. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we have to ask that question. We have to evaluate ourselves on that answer. Are we faithful with where God has placed us? And I think this is what Haggai is trying to get at. He's telling them, you've been called to lead and to build this temple don't give up. Be faithful. Keep working at it. Be strong. And God is with you. And I think that when we have ministries that God has placed in our lives and in our church body, we need to be faithful to them and do them and not give up. Haggai, uh, he, he closes out this section of, of his uh oracles that he has he has three we're only going to look at these two uh, he closes out the second one in verses seven and verses nine uh, with these words he says uh, i will shake all nations and what is desired by all nations will come and i will fill this house with glory says the lord almighty and in verse nine he says the glory of the present house will be greater than the glory of the former house says the lord almighty and in this place i will grant peace declares the lord almighty Here's what God says is you guys are looking at this all wrong Israelites. You are looking at the current temple and you're comparing it to the old temple. And the problem that we often run into when we look at the good old days is that they're usually not as good as we remember them. I mean, the temple that Solomon built was glorious. But if you read Ezekiel, you see that in the temple mounts, in the temple itself, they were worshiping other gods. And so while the elders remember this glorious building, they forget what was happening there. And, and Haggai says, as big as that building was, as, as grand as it was, this new temple is going to be glorified more. God is going to fill it more than he did the other one. And I think that's the greatest thing is that if we are faithful, I think this is the message I think Haggai is saying. If we are faithful where God has placed us, it doesn't matter how big the ministry is. It doesn't matter how grand it is or how small it is. If we are faithful, God will glorify it. And I think that is our goal in whatever we're doing. Are we bringing glory to God? Are we being faithful? Uh, he closes out with this last sentence, there will be peace in this place. Uh, this word peace, it's more than, than the understanding of having absence of war. Uh, it carries uh, a couple of different ideas. Um, I didn't write it down on my notes. Uh, it carries basically what we would call uh, satisfaction in life. And if we are faithful where God has placed us, we will find that satisfaction that we're often looking for and longing for. And so the message that Haggai has is very simple. Be strong, be faithful, keep working, and you'll find peace. And that's what I want in my life, and I hope it's what you want in your life as well. Let's pray. Dear God, we're grateful that you can bring satisfaction uh, that passes all understanding of what we know. Father, in our lives that's full of busyness and full of, of just doing things, I pray that we 
we'll get sidetracked from, from various things, but that we will just stay focused, that we won't get discouraged when things aren't progressing the way we thought they would, but that we'll be strong and continue the work. Help us, Father, to be faithful where you have placed us. Help us to, to glorify your name. Help us to uh, just bring your name fame. Let that be our focus in this world. I ask this in your name. Amen.